Today we are starting a new fall sermon series, and let me introduce you the theme of a new series with a question. How do you answer the spiritual math question? That is, Jesus plus nothing equals what? What would you put there? Would you say Jesus plus nothing equals better than nothing or something? Or those of you uh, mathematically inclined, nothing means zero, so it's a Jesus. Would you like to know what Apostle Paul answered the question? According to Apostle Paul, Jesus plus nothing equals to everything. Because Jesus is a creator and the universe of, uh, Lord of the universe and everything, when we have Jesus, we have everything. At the same time, when we have everything except Jesus or minus Jesus, we will eventually have a nothing. Because according to the Bible, everything came from nothing through Jesus. Without Jesus, everything becomes nothing. Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things been created through him and for him. That's the theme of the Paul's letter to Colossians. And that, that is, the Christ is everything to those in Christ. So if you're in Christ, Christ is everything. Amen? Every fall, we've been studying the letters in the New Testament. So far in the seven and a half years of a forest history, we learned the first Thessalonians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, first, second Corinthians, and last year James. For fall 2022, we're going to study Colossians. Colossians was the fifth smallest letter among Paul's 13 letters. It has only four chapters, and I recommend the three things, kind of homeworks. First, Read it at one sitting because it will take you only uh, 15 minutes. And second, listen to the audio Bible. It will take you less than 30 minutes because if you walk more than 30 minutes, you can hear at least more than twice. And try to feel for an overall impression of the letter. And third, this is a kind of new assignment, watch a YouTube called the Bible Project on Colossians, Bible Project on Colossians. You know, Bible Project guys, they did an excellent overview of each book of the Bible with a cartoon. It's well done, highly recommended. So if you can do one of these three, that's good. If you do all three, you're my kind of people. You're great students. Now, why Colossians? More importantly, what's so special about Colossae? If you look at the map, City of Colossae was once a flourishing city of a trade and the cosmopolitan population. But by the time of Paul, it was a declining city, small city. Do you see the Colossae? Do you see? It's a part of the Asia or Asia Minor. Uh, Tarsus is where Paul was from, and Cilicia is his first you know, mission journey. And Lystra is where Paul met Timothy, and Timothy began to follow Paul as a, he's a you know, pastor and discipler. 
So if you look at the Colosse, Colosse has actually two other uh, neighboring series. Hierapolis is uh, 15 miles northwest, and uh, Laodicea was uh, 10 miles west of here. After Paul wrote this letter, around the AD 61, there was an earthquake in the whole area called Phrygia, and the other, other cities were rebuilt. But Colossae was not that important, so people didn't build at all. Even till today, any major uh, biblical site that was an excavation or some kind of biblical archaeological site, except the Colossae. So that means this is a very insignificant city. And some New Testament scholars speculate if that's the reason that Colossae didn't make the list of seven churches in Asia in the book of Revelation. So you might say Colossian church was an insignificant church or a church in an insignificant declining city. Also, Colossian church was not founded by Paul. It was founded by his disciple, named, a guy named Epaphras. And along with the Romans, Colossians were the letters that Paul wrote to the people whom he never met. If you look at the Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul said, For all who have not met me personally. As we'll see later, this seemingly insignificant church was the uh, recipient of a Paul's great Christology. And through which I want us to see how much God loves every church and even every house church, no matter how small and insignificant they appear to others. From this humble church, I see God's humongous love for us. Amen? With that, let's read our passage today responsively. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. So I'm going to read first, and you read the following verse, so and so. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by will of God, the Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. From Paul's greeting and thanksgiving, I want to share with you the celebration of a Colossian church. By that I mean, what made Paul thankful to celebrate the Colossian church? What makes us thankful? What makes you thankful these days? Here we find the three thanks to celebrate our position and the blessing in Jesus Christ. And these threefold thanks and thankful celebrations are also principles and promises of the gospel, gospel of Christ for his followers. I pray that we remember these thanks and reflect on them in our life, in our house church ministry. 
So let me give you three key words to understand the, this passage. Three key words today. Friends, flow, and fruit. Friends, flow, and fruit. The first and foremost elaboration of a Paul over Colossian church was gospel co-workers. The friends called the gospel co-workers. Look at the verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. In this seemingly normal common greeting of Paul, we must know some crucial characteristics of Apostle Paul and his ministry and life. First off, Paul collaborated or co-labored with the others in ministry. Paul lived a deeply relational life. Deeply relational life. You know, people debated if uh, Apostle Paul was a task-oriented Christian because uh, many of his uh, letters express his uh, ministry plan, missionary projects, even money matters. Some say that when Barnabas and Paul split over the qualification of John Mark as their missionary companion in Acts chapter 15, Barnabas was relationally oriented, so he gave a second chance to John Mark, who once failed missionary. But Paul condemned John Mark as a deserter and then moved on without him. The more I study Paul's life, the more I realize Apostle Paul was both relational and task-oriented. For him, gospel call and collaboration with others are inseparable. It's a both and. It's not either or. As we will see soon, obeying God and loving people always go hand in hand. We don't go one for the other. You have to go together. Paul's celebration of his gospel co-workers was clearly revealed, most, uh, clearly revealed in most of his greetings. While Peter, James, and John, other apostles, all greeted their readers with love and respect, Paul was the biblical writer and apostle who always sent communal greetings. While other apostles greeted alone, Paul greeted his readers with co-workers, like Sostenes, Silas, and Timothy. Only one place he didn't do that was uh, uh, the uh, book of Romans. And among his uh, co-workers, Timothy was uh, mentioned the most in Paul's sermon. I mean, Paul's letters, appearing in 11 of 13 letters, and the four introductory greetings. Pauline scholars think that Timothy actually served Paul in Colossian uh, uh, letter as his secretary or technically called amanuensis. Back then, you dictate, you dictate, and someone else writes your letter. Okay, that's called the amenuances. In one word, Paul worked with others. We all knew that friendship is important. Friendship matters in life. Friendship almost make and break a life. But friendship matters most critically when it comes to God's family. For me, ministry growth cannot be separated from friendship growth. And that's what I love about the house church ministry. A sense of a house church ministry is an intentional, 
intentional friendship with other Christians to reach out to VIPs. Yes, sometimes we tolerate each other. And some of us are extra grace required people. But true friendship is ultimately toiling together toward the common goal of growing and glorifying God together. You know, for us, for Christians, friendship is important. Friendship is a spiritual calling and privilege and even promise. You know why? Because Jesus is the foundation of our friendship. John chapter 15, before this is one of the Jesus' last teaching, before he was crucified, Jesus said, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servant because servant does not know he's a master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus called us to be his friend. By that, Jesus said, I'm going to reveal everything that uh, Father revealed to me. And actually, Jesus said, if you, you are my, com- my friends, if you do what I command. You know what Jesus commands? Jesus already obeyed. So it's not like Jesus using us and then, you know, slave and then calling a different name. No. We are all obeying God together, and that's where our friendship is, you know, based on. And that's what the Apostle Paul was doing with the Timothy and Colossian saint. saint. Paul was writing this letter in Roman prison. Roman prison. Think about that. When you have a deep legal problem like an imprisonment, would you write a letter to a small church that you have never visited before? Why was Paul writing a letter to this unknown small church? It's because of a friendship. Later in verse 7, we saw that uh, his, Paul said, You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Paul was uh, praying and encouraging Colossian church because he's a friend, Epaphras. He's a gospel friend. Epaphras, by the way, was a disciple by Apostle Paul. When Paul was uh, ministering in Ephesus, do you guys remember Acts chapter 19? Paul, what did Paul do, Ephesus ministry? For three years, every day, he taught in the whole of Tyrrhenius. And everybody who learned from him, through them, whole Asia Minor heard the gospel. Epaphras was one of them. And so when he returned to his hometown, Colossae, he evangelized and founded a church. And then later when Epaphras visited his imprisoned pastor Paul in Rome, he shared the report of progress and some problems, which prompted Paul today to write a letter to help a Colossian church. It was a friend helping a friend in ministry because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what, says, what does all this you know, background information mean to us? If you really want to assess your spiritual health and growth, listen to me. If you really want to assess, evaluate your spiritual health and growth, measure your gospel friendship. Measure your gospel friendship. Do you have a more and better friends who are co-laboring with you for the gospel now than before? Spiritual growth is more than just, you know, biblical knowledge or some discipleship classes. By the way, those are important, and I'm going to elaborate on that next Sunday. 
But are you growing gospel friendship in forest in your respective house church? Of course, I don't expect everyone makes friends with everyone at forest. But if you don't make at least two, three friends within a year, I think you need to ask an honest question. That is, is that me or is it others? And if you consistently show up at your house church and honestly open up your soul to others and you don't have a few good friends, please let me know. Let your house church shepherds know because we need to really repent and then change. You know, one thing I always watch over in my ministry is that church that I serve will never become a clique. Clique of a certain people. Only selective few seem to have you know, access and prestige. And that I, want to, I want to make it clear that our leadership, forest leadership is open and shared. As a pastor, it is my job to ensure forest leadership core is open. By that I mean obedient to God. And the humble, that means uh, prayerful, and sacrificial, meaning serving. So anyone is willing to give, suffer, and die is welcome to our leadership. You know, my own experience of forest has been more than uh, just a numerical growth. It has been a friendship growth. And some of you know that I made some, you know, dumb mistakes, and then many of you, defended me and uh, my motives. You know, at Forest, I have enjoyed a gospel friendship that goes beyond the generation, ethnicity, socioeconomic class, and then I must say this, personal oddities. You know, we have uh, strange people in our church. I'll not say who, you know them. In that regard, I am grateful for our retreat. It was an overdue time to get to know each other. But one thing I, looking back, I'm evaluating already, I wish that I did better, was the uh, Saturday evening. When Pastor Michel uh, Paris made the point that a pastor is a great gift of a King Jesus to his church and uh, made you appreciate me and Jamie, Jamie and I, we felt so awkward with the spotlight that we, I tried to move on too quickly. And looking back, what I should have done is this. I should have asked every shepherd to stand and every house church to appreciate or affirm their shepherd. So can I ask you this? Everyone in the house church, without warning your shepherd, gang up with your own members. Can you roast your, I'm not roast, can you appreciate your shepherd? Yeah, roasting is a part of appreciate, appreciate, appreciation, so it's okay. You can roast a friend, you know, don't just burn them forever. Just a roast warmly. You know, someone said friend is someone who knows all about you and still loves you. You know, I want to add a Dutch Reformed theologian, Abraham Kuyper's word there. He or she is your friend who pushes you nearer to God. The true friend is a one not only knows and loves you, but also pushes you nearer to God. That's the friendship I found in forest. And that that's a friendship I hope you find in the forest. And the kind of friend you become to each other. 
You know, Forest family, you make me pray more and seek God's wisdom more desperately than before. Because, you know, I'm overwhelmed by, you know, a lot of love and trust and, you know, prayer. That really makes me work hard. You know, Thomas Aquinas said there's nothing on earth more to be prized than true friendship. By the true friendship, I think means gospel friendship. Before I share the second thankful celebration, let me point out the Paul's Thanksgiving section, which is verse 3 to 8. In actual Greek text is a one long sentence. Just one sentence. Verse 3 to 8 is actually in, in English several sentences, but in Greek is a one long sentences of 101 words. Pauline scholars think that this long, complex sentence with many run-ons implies Apostle Paul's overwhelmed emotion for his readers. He was simply busting with joy in his thanksgiving for the Colossians. So if a letter could speak, it would not be a cordial tone, but a shout-out and exclamatory. So let me point out two things in his thanksgiving. That is second and third point, the flow and the fruit. The second thankful celebration was a flow of a Paul's famous triad of a faith, hope, faith, love, and hope. So look at the verse 3 and 5. We always thank God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope that's stored for you in heaven. Your faith in Jesus and your love for all God's people, which is spring from love. Here, you see the false famous, you know, triad of a hope, love, and faith. Um, yeah. And uh, somebody, a commentator said this. Oh, oh, here. First, Paul coupled the faith in Christ with a love for all Christians. He coupled the faith in Christ with uh, their love for all Christians. So a commentator said, Colossian church not only believed in Christ, but they lived in Christ as well. And Paul shows us that a life in Christ means a life for Christ. Life in Christ means a life for Christ. If all these two sounds too, you know, semantic, just a common Christian cliche, let me help you understand the important connection between faith and love. Last Monday and Tuesday after retreat, I leisurely attended a quarterly meeting of a board of directors for Texas Baptist at Doubletree Hotel near Lovefield. I intentionally specified where the meeting was held because it was a big mistake. Conference room was too cold. I took a summer jacket, but I should have worn the winter jacket. So I got a cold, which became a flu. And I had to go through the four days of a COVID test to make sure it was not corona. So remember Doubletree Hotel near the love field. Next time you go there, bring your winter clothes. But though I get the flu, I was glad that I went there. Because David Harridge, the executive director for past 11 years, was retiring, and he was giving his final encouragement to the Texas Baptist. Do you guys remember that, uh, you know, he preached our church a while ago? 
And he was explaining the origin of a Texas Baptist new model and logo, GC2. I'm wearing it, GC2. Do you see GC2? GC2? GC2 stands for Great Commandment and Great Commission. Great Commandment and Great Commission. In 2020, Dr. David Harridge attended a national meeting of over 100 different Baptist denominational leaders and they presented the future roadmap for Baptists in America. He said it was theologically too diverse, even politically conflicting each other. So much was said, so different views, that Dr. Hodge felt confused and even disoriented in that almost a desperate moment and a deep prayerful sigh. He saw what Texas Baptists and, frankly, all Christians need to remember. That is, sharing Christ and showing love to those who are hurting. That is what matters most. Sharing Christ. You know, so do you see it on the box? There is a kind, you know, what is that? That's just talking, sharing Christ and showing love. Great commandment and great commission. That's the bottom line for Christian. Help people to know Christ and heal the hurting people. That's what we need to focus. So GC2 is what Forrest and our house church ministry must constantly seek and endeavor. As long as you and I share Christ and show love to each other and especially those in need, we will be faithful and even fruitful like a Colossians. The second thing the Apostle Paul did here with his trial of faith and love and hope was a connecting and faith and love to hope. Look at the verse 5. Faith and love that springs spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, about which you already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So it is a gospel, the good news of Jesus that creates the hope. And the gospel is a power to powerless and the hope to hopeless. You know, when you and I find that nothing really gives us a hope, that's when the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to us, right? And but how does he hearing the story of Jesus, his birth and life and death and resurrection and even coming by the Spirit gives a hope that awakens our faith and stimulates our love for others? The answer is in the one phrase, the hope stored up for you in heaven. Now, pay attention here. In the original text, it's not heaven. It's a heaven's. It's not a singular. It's a plural. I don't know why all English, you know, translation except one, they all put it in singular. They total bad translation. So you might say, what's the difference or significance between heaven and heavens? While singular, heaven points to the future aspect of hope, which is a life after death. The will be with Christ in his glory. That is a future hope, right? Glory. That's a wonderful. But when you use the word Heaven in plural, it means invisible spiritual realm where Christ is reigning right now. So when you use the word heavens, Paul trying to convey the present reality of hope. That's why later in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul said, For you died, and your life is where when? Now, hidden with Christ in God. 
You know, Jesus is not taking a nap in heaven. He's reigning on the right side of the Father. And He is taking our concerns. He's paying attention to us, you and me. Paul is talking about present reality, hope, or hopefulness of Christ's kingship and authority in our life. You know, that's why we pray, and that's why we, we, are, we, are, you know, we are confident that God will hear us and answers our prayers. So flow of our faith in Christ and love for the people, which are based in the hope's present reality, actually means simply this. Christ is a reigning king of the universe, and that reigning king of the universe is with us now. Amen? That concrete hope present hope awakens our faith and empowers in our love. Now let me move on to the third and third celebration, third thankful celebration. For that, Paul used a metaphor of a fruit. Look at the verse 6. Gospel, in the same way, gospel is a bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. What does it mean that gospel is a bearing fruit and is growing throughout the whole world? One thing for sure is that by fruit, Paul did not mean some kind of a triumphalist victories. That oftentimes we see that right-wing Christians celebrate the judicial victory of an anti-abortion you know, crusade these days. By fruit, Paul did not mean some kind of external you know, triumphs. You know what Paul meant by the fruit? Fruit of the gospel? That is a transformed life. Transformed life. Late British... Patristic uh, 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 historian and New Testament scholar Larry Hutaro, uh, in his seminal book, Destroyer of God, God's Destroyer of God, he said this By contrast, the growth of Christianity in its uh, first three centuries, the most crucial period, was uh, largely by combination of the power of a persuasion, whether in preaching, intellectual argument, Miracle exhibiting the power of Jesus' name, simply moral suasion of a Christian behavior, including martyrdom, granted. He is absolutely right. Early Christians, they expanded their influence with a moral persuasion. Not like today's American evangelicals who seek to impose Biblical values on the larger inner society by legal coercion. Early Christians, simply put, they became a gospel to their neighbors. Early Christians, let me repeat that, became a gospel to their neighbors. They become a good news. They embody the good news to good news of Jesus to others. For instance. Did you know the common form of uh, abortion in Roman Empire back then was to simply abandon the unwanted baby, usually girls, in the marketplace right after their birth? That's how they did it. You know, there was no, you know, uh, planned family, what is it, planned family hood? 
clinic. So they have to, you know, just baby bone. Oh, it's a girl. Oh, we don't want it. Just, you know, leave it there. And it was the Christians who these unwanted babies and raised them. By the way, experts said the Roman Empire was a slavery-based, slave-based on economy. So one estimate is that they needed some 500,000, half million new slaves every year. And that they actually received that 150,000 slaves from this discarded infant. It was the Christians who, raised, who, who took up tons of this, you know, would-be prostitutes and slaves as their own children. And during the well-known two empire-wide pandemics, when people, Romans, deserted and discarded their dying family members into the street, it was the Christians who risked their lives to care for the sick and the dying. They were so selfless that some Christians got a nickname, Parabolani. I mentioned that, I think, a while ago. And Parabolani in Latin simply means para alongside Bolani to throw someone who threw themselves alongside of whoever people in need. So self-surrendered, self-abundant people. And Hutaro said this, Christianity did not become a successful through Emperor Constantine giving an imperial approval. Instead, Constantine adopted the Christianity likely because it has already become so successful despite earlier efforts to destroy the movement. He's absolutely right. It was not Emperor Constantine who established the Christianity legally, but Christianity actually established Emperor Constantine's rule. It was the early Christianity that inspired and united the declining Roman Empire with a new hope and common moral vision of a human dignity. Amen? That's what we follow. That's the gospel fruit that you and I supposed to reflect. So let me conclude today's message. So one simple question and challenge I received at Paul's greeting and thanksgiving to the Colossians is this. What kind of fruit are we? What kind of fruit are we? Are we gospel fruit of a faith, love, and hope? Or are we worldly fruit of a facade and lust and hedonism? Are you fruit of yourself or are you fruit of the Holy Spirit? Let me conclude my message with the email that I received yesterday from our missionary in Batumi, Sarah Stone. Do you remember the photo and story that I shared with you two weeks ago? Do you guys remember? The guy on the left in the suit, he came to actually kill, murder Tim Stone, our missionary partner, in, you know, uh, seven years ago. I found that it happened seven years ago. But at last minute, he changed his mind because, uh, you know, the Tim Stone's son was in the room, in the office, so he, did, he felt bad about killing the father in front of son. And then later, you know, you listen to sermon two weeks ago and you get the full story. And Sarah sent me this, you know, uh, reflection to thank and also encourage the mission partner to keep praying for them. So let me highlight some of her sharing. She said, Quote, Though I am thankful not to have become a widow seven years ago, I also feel that if the Lord had chosen to allow him to die for our Lord's sake, it would have been a great honor. Strangely, I don't feel any shock or fear or anxiety. This either means I progress things very slowly 
or that the Lord, Lord Jesus is just guarding my heart and thought through your prayers. I'm also immensely grateful that the Lord helped me learn something very important about our children through this event. As the team shared, we tried to talk to each of our kids personally before they saw the news article. So they, they murder and the whole plot was, a, a, you know, came out the Turkish national news and, uh, you know, so forth. So when I asked Sam, the oldest son, now age 22, how he was feeling about learning about this failed murder threat from 2015, he said very calmly, Mom, I gave that fear to God a long time ago. Now, our Sam was seven years old when we moved to Malatya, that's a Turkish town they served, and the 19 when he left. We don't know exactly when during that time he decided to trust God with the possibility that his father could be killed, but we are so thankful to learn that he did. Our other sons, John, 20 years old, David, 17, also comforted our heart when they, along with Miriam Gasky, the youngest daughter of Susan Gasky, the widow of the German, the modern German missionary, they are still there and serving. Encourage the youth in Malata, to, Malata Czech group to pray for our enemies and share these verses in Matthew 5, 11, and 16. Bless are you when others uh, re revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And our youngest daughter, Anna Joy, is just glad that God protected her daddy. We know that your prayer for us all these years played a big role in helping our children trust Jesus with their fears and grow in their faith. So we truly thank God for each one of you. So Tim and Sharon Stone, the fruit of their ministry, one of the important fruit of their ministry is their children. Learn to trust God, giving their fear to God. How about us? What fear do you have? What fear, what anxiety, what worries kind of holding you back? Paralyze you? Have you given that to Jesus? Fear and faith go in the opposite direction. You need to give that fear to God. And the Bible said the perfect love casts fear. And no one has a perfect love like our God. Dear Forrest, let us become the fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They save the dying, nourishes the hungry, and satisfy the dry souls around us. Let's pray.